Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. And we are what, three days into a brand new year. And our hope and our trust is that he's always there. And uh, I remember standing, I guess, here first Sunday of last year, and, uh, you know, stars in our eyes, all the optimism of uh, the future and what could be. And, you know, did the whole, who's got New Year's resolutions? And everyone's hands went up. Did it this morning with the team? No one's hands went up. <laughs> it's like, what? Well, you know, because it's, um, because it's, we kind of have this feeling that it's a bit of a new world now, right? And the rules have changed. And stuff that maybe we were confident in, not so confident anymore, stuff that we had really firm opinions about, well, maybe they're not so firm anymore. And so it's like this, it's a new world. And so we want to do for this, the first month for January, to talk about how to approach this new world. And instead of residing to the fact that everything is uh, lost or how hopeless or what, how can I have any optimism or hope for the future, I reckon that we're going to find something in following Jesus where you can approach this new world we're part of now with a sense of boldness and confidence and optimism. And as Laura said, in all the things we journey through, there's a promise. He's always there. He's always there. So if you're uh, here for the first time, if you're watching online for the first time, and you're, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're curious and checking it out, uh, I want to invite you back for this whole series. And um, don't, just, don't just hang here for one Sunday. Give this a shot. This could be one of the best decisions you make in your life. Dig in, suss this out, ask your questions, bring your doubts, and maybe you'll find something in God that you never found in anything else that will help you approach this bold new world. Now, in about a few hundred years ago, so kind of 14th, 15th, 16th century, there's a whole lot of exploration going on all across the world. A lot of the European powers were flexing their muscle and traveling, and they eventually, they'd heard rumors about a new world, a new world where there wasn't all the, the history that, you know, the kind of the Asian and European and African content had been plagued with through wars and different powers and plagues and persecution and, and all the different things that came from it. So they heard there was this brand new world. This is a map from the uh, 16th century. And on the right, you can see uh, the old world that they had discovered up until that point. And then on the, the left, there's what they knew as the, what they labeled the new world, which we now know as the African continents, right? So so there was this new enthusiasm because if, if, you, if you can use your imagination for a moment, okay, you lived in like the, the 15th century and uh, you're a young Italian named Christopher and you're like, I've heard that there's like a world out there that I want to go. Other people have brought back, you know, rumors and stories of it. But the, the reason they labeled the Americas as the new world, not just a new country or a new continent, is because they saw it as a chance to start again. To start again where there wasn't monarchies ruling, where there wasn't kind of all, all, all the different sicknesses and plagues, and there wasn't the, the class inequalities that had plagued Europe and all the world up until that point. The idea that they could begin again, that all the problems that the old world had, they could leave behind, sail across the Atlantic, and arrive in a brand new world. It didn't matter what the color of your skin was or your background or your gender or your religious belief that all men and women were, well, were viewed as, it was a long time ago, right? But they, that all people were viewed uh, equal in the eyes of God. Like it was a radical new idea. And so they began, you know, heading over there in their droves. The problem is this. 
The issues they were running from weren't geographical. It wasn't a problem with the soil in Europe and that magically the, a new geography would change all of their problems. It's a new land, it's a new place, problems solved. Because the problems wasn't Europe, the continent. The problem was with Europeans. <laughs> problems was with people. And although they went to a new landmass, they brought with them the same problems that they'd always had. And yeah, they brought some of the, the practical ones, like they brought with them disease. In fact, some anthropologists estimate that up to 90% of the First Nations people across all of the Americas were wiped out because of the European sicknesses they brought with them. Um, but more, even more than that, they brought with them the deep human problems, right? Issues such as greed, selfishness, violence. And of course, they were already present in the people who already lived there, but geography wasn't their answer. They brought with them the same problems they always had because they came with them. And so the quarreling that they experienced in the old world, they brought with them into the new world. And we now are in a new year, a new year, and... Maybe you're like, this is my chance, this is my moment. All the problems of the past are going to be left in 2020. All the things that have been pulling my hair out about are in 2020. All the tensions, all the things that have caused quarreling in my life are going to stay there. But I am now in a new year. The problem is, though, you can enter a new year. You can get a new wardrobe. You can begin a new relationship, start a new degree, move to a new place, get a new job. You can have the new everything but none of that matters when it's still an old you. And you can dress it up, you can make it look fancy, and you can be like, I'm heading to a new world, I'm heading to a new year. But if it's still the old you, you're going to bring the same problems that you had in the old place to the new place. Now, I don't need to harp on about this because we kind of all get this. This is something that isn't new to any of us. But this can be a tension that can often bring quarreling in our lives. I don't know if you've ever started a new job and you're like, this is going to be different. I cannot wait to have a new boss. I've got my own office, whatever it might be. But if you bring with you the same work ethic and the same expectations or the same chip in your shoulders to management, whatever it might be, you've got to bring the old new into a new place and still have a quarrel. Be no different to a relationship. You might be like, the old relationship, it was all his fault and oh, it's all her. And I cannot wait to be in a new relationship. There's going to be so much better. But if you still bring in the same old you to a brand new relationship, there will still be quarreling. And maybe this year in your life, you have a whole lot of things that you're believing for. Maybe some things you're trusting God to do for you or for us. And I certainly know we do when we, you know, I hope you do. I hope you got anticipation for your new year and uh, you know, maybe you've got great goals and great plans and things that you're trusting God for in your life. And as Chloe said before, I really do hope that you have, there's prayers that you are praying and the things you're bringing to your heavenly father that you are believing him to do for you. And there are certainly things that God intends to do for all of us, for us, but more than just doing things for us. And we're going to look at this today and through this series. I think so often God's heart towards you and I is that he doesn't just want to do things for us. He wants to do things in us, in us, so that when you approach something new, you're not just bringing the old you, you're letting God do something new in you. Well, I'm not meaning this for Ryan, but I'm just going to like keep going with it, um, and that you can experience some measure of life change when it comes to following Jesus. And let's be honest just for a moment, right? This is, um, this is, this is why we believe what we believe. This isn't this isn't just to band-aid things in our lives. If you're someone who's maybe a skeptic of faith and 
thinking, I'm just, you know, I've got these problems and so I just kind of want religion to cover it over. You have to understand, we are firmly believe, and we see this all through our New Testaments and, and particularly in the Gospels where we look at how Jesus impacted people's lives. We totally believe that following Jesus doesn't just do things for us. Following Jesus brings change in us, in us. And maybe, maybe the greatest thing, maybe the greatest thing that can happen for you this year is not something on the outside. Maybe it's not a new house or a new relationship. Maybe it's something in you that your heavenly Father wants to breathe life into and see come alive. And so what I want to do is go right back to the beginning of the story, because it's a new year. I want to go right to the story of how God's people first started, the Jewish people. And it was with a man named Abram. Now, Abram wasn't anyone extraordinary. He wasn't a great owner of lands, as far as we can tell. He didn't have big armies and kingdoms. He wasn't a ruler. But yet God visited him, seemingly out of nowhere, very randomly. And he said to him, I want you to leave the country you were brought up in. I want you to leave the world you're familiar with. I want you to leave your family, everything you've found your security in. And I want you to come to a new world. I want you to come to a new place that I'm going to show you. So imagine that. Imagine God rocking up, introducing himself to you. And you're like, all right, let's go. Something new. This sounds good. So Abraham, what he was supposed to do was leave everything. Leave where he's from. Leave all his family. But here's where we pick up the story. This is in our first books in the Old Testament, book of Genesis from chapter 13 says, now Lot, now Lot was Abraham's nephew. Here's our first problem, right? Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land, this is the land that God promised to take them to, could not support them while they stayed together for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Before we go to the next slide, remember this. God, as I said before, God said to Abraham, I want you to come away from all your people. Now, sure, he left some of his people, he left his parents, but he brought with him his nephew. And now we don't know all the reasons for that. There's a whole lot of things in the story we won't get into today. We could speculate. Lot definitely had radically different worldviews and radically different priorities in his life than Abram had. So God's like, I need you to leave all of this old world behind. But yet along came this tag along, his nephew Lot. Does anyone have a nephew or a niece? This always seems to tag along, right? It's Christmas time, so you've probably got him with you. I've definitely had my nephew with me. Hello, Clancy. Pretty fun to have hanging around. Yeah, thumbs up. Yeah. So you're in the story, buddy. Anyway, so, so they go along. And notice what happened is a quarreling, a quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's herders. So here they were in this brand new land, right? And it was meant to be great. And God promised he's going to bring us into this new land. But yet the same problems he had in the old land came into his new land. A quarreling took place because he took something from where he was that was not compatible to where he was going. And I wonder if you and I can be in danger of doing that with anything we have expectation for or hope for or we have prayers for, that we can often be in danger of taking something from where we've come from that is not compatible to what God has for your life. And make no mistake about it, we believe that God is a heavenly Father who loves to bless people, who loves to pour His goodness into your life, He loves to answer prayer. We believe God does exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever hope or dream, right? But we can often have this idea that we want to bring our little stuff into what God's got for us. And, and that often can create a great tension or a great quarreling, as we saw here with Abram and his nephew Lot. And I often find the reason for this is, it's nothing new, you already know this, it's competing wills. You have a will, someone else has a will, and you quarrel. Marriage is like a hotbed for this, right? Maybe that's the wrong term to use when talking about marriage. <laughs> marriage is like a boiling pot. I don't know. I'm just going to roll with it. Um, 
where there's competing wills. And you have an agenda, you have a plan, and someone else has, and then what is it? There's quarreling, right? It doesn't have to be always about significant things. It can be about trivial things, but competing wills will always do this. It can often be the same when it comes to our faith in God. And maybe you feel like your faith is often a quarrel. There's a tension there, and things don't always seem to line up. If you're anything like me, it's often because God has this great thing for my life, and I'm convinced of it, but I also have a will for my life. And that can often be a competing will. And sometimes quarreling can happen in our faith when we're believing God for something, but we still want to have all the control. So God, I believe you want to bless me and do great things, but I also want to have the steering wheel of my life. And so it creates quarreling. You know, I've seen, again, marriage is a, a, a real thing for this. I know there's not only two wills in my marriage, there's three wills. There's my will, there's my wife's will, and then there's Willa, who's my daughter. <laughs> Sounded funny when I practiced that at home. But anyway, I'll go. I've also got a fourth as Noah. But anyways, so, so um, here we find Abraham sandwiched in between something new, a new world, a new venture, a new blessing God has for him, and still with a tag along from his old world, from his old life. And it created tension. And for Abram to step into something new, it required him letting, this is so important, it required him letting go of what he was familiar with, which ultimately means letting go of control. And this is tough because we love control. Think about it. Every time you ask, <laughs> you ask someone's, you know, what's your take on like 2020? Do you think like you're going to get this vaccine? When's the vaccine going to happen? But why do we always want to know details for everything? Because we want it, we, the more we feel like we know, the more we feel like we have a control in our lives. And we love to find it. That's why I think there's such a, a, a tendency to, to lean in towards opinions and theories about everything because we want to gather information so we feel like our lives aren't out of control. There's like this innate inbuilt desire in our lives to want to control. And that nature inside of us, left unchecked, can lead to so much fear in our lives, can lead to intense anxiety, can lead to more quarreling relationships than we care to mention. This deep desire inside of us to be in control of everything. We want to control outcomes. We, that's why we, and you know, this isn't always a bad thing. This is just a thing thing, right? That's why we have a budget because, you know, if you don't have a budget for your finances, your money gets out of control, right? Same with raising children, right? You put in boundaries and disciplines because without them, you often see kids who get out of control, right? So, so, but this left unchecked, this desire inside of us to bring control can end up ruling our lives. And if you've ever worked for a boss or you've ever been in a relationship with someone that demands control, isn't that just such a lovely environment to wake up to every single day, right? So you understand there can be the abuse of this idea of control. But this is exactly what God invited Abraham to let go of when he called him to leave his upbringing, his family, what he was familiar with. He invited him to let go of what he could control and to trust God. And that there is a problem for all of us. Because we want what God's got for us most of the time, but we also want to have some of the say. And so we have competing wills. Now to explain how this kind of worked out and what we can learn from Abram's story here. I want to move to a letter in our New Testament. Now, we don't know who the author of this particular letter is. What we do know is who they wrote it to. And it's in the title of the book. The book is called Hebrews. So it's written to the Jewish people. These were Jewish followers 
of Jesus. Now, as much as we don't know who the author was, we do know that the first followers of Jesus saw this as important enough uh, truth about who Jesus was and what God is like, that they kept it, they preserved this document, and here we are able to still read it as part of our Bible 2,000 years later. And so writing to the Hebrew people, the author of the book of Hebrews begins to expand on what happened here with Abram, who then eventually became named Abraham, as we're about to see, as God called him out of his old world into a new world. And here's what it says in the book of Hebrews. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. I want to break this down for a moment because we live here. The reason why a lot of us won't put our hands up for big, extraordinary, big plans this year is because we just don't know what's going to happen this year. Is there going to be a vaccine? Are the borders going to close? Are they going to open? Come on, New Zealand. We just want to get off this rock, just anything, whatever, right? But here we are now. <laughs> even though he went, he obeyed, he trusted God, even though, even though he did not know where he was going. And ultimately, what we find Abraham, Abraham in here is a situation where there was this genuine lack of control. If you're anything like me, I don't like this. We have a need to know, because if we know, then we can control. Have you ever found yourself being called to a place or going to a place where you have no idea where you're going or what's in store for you? It's terrifying, right? Sometimes it's fun, but most times it's like terrifying. I want to know. How much are you going to get paid? How long is it going to go for? Is this going to work out for me? We don't know. And so we try and scramble for control, but, but we have a lack of control in our life. In fact, I remember my, one of my big brothers, David, who's visiting at the moment. He's here with me. Hello, David. Second row. Father of Clancy. <laughs> um, we are, I must have been 19, what, you were 22, and we, uh, we had no idea what we were doing. We went to Europe. And we're like, we're in England with the family. Like, Let's get out of here. Let's go to Italy. We, all we booked is a flight in and a flight out. We hadn't had accommodation booked. We didn't have no itinerary. We didn't know. Like, internet was still like early days. There was no social media. So we were just flying blind. So we, uh, we get to Rome. We're like, let's find a place to stay. We found just the worst, seediest hostel. And if you've ever traveled in some of the back alleys of Europe, just the worst. We're like, okay. But we had a great time in Rome. And we're like, where do we go now? Don't know. So we just started asking other backpackers, where should we go? And like, Naples, Naples is a rad city. We're like, Naples it is. So um, if you've ever been to Naples, though, people have mixed reviews of the city of Naples. So, so we caught a train down to Naples, and at the further south you go from Rome, which is all neat and tourist, you start to get, hang on, something sus is going on here. And we arrive in Naples, and there was, was anything but cool. We're like, why do we feel like we, we don't belong here? Anyway, people are coming up and talking to us in Italian all the time. Like, hey, we don't speak Italian. We look it, but we're not it, right? And so this one guy comes up and he starts yapping on, do you remember this? Starts talking Italian. And we're like, whoa, whoa, mate, we're Australian. You know, oh, okay. And he starts talking to us in English. And he's like, oh, what are you guys, you know, what are you guys checking out? I'm like, we don't know. We're just, we're just exploring Naples. And he goes, oh, so you don't have any clue about this place? I'm like, no. Nah. And he's like, okay, you see those streets over there? And we're like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, don't go there. I'm like, all right. And I'm like, why? And he goes, you know why. I'm like, oh, yeah. We, we assumed he was referring to the mafia, and we found out later that's exactly who he was referring to. If you've ever been to the south of Italy, you learn pretty much everything south of Rome. The mafia has a big sway there. Anyways, 
So we're there in Naples. We're like, we've got to get out of this town pretty quick smart because we're like, there's obviously nothing cool to do here. We're definitely going to be mugged or worse or recruited into the mafia or something like that, right? And so we talked to the lady in our hostel. We're like, we don't know where to go. Where should we, we want to get out of here. Where do we go? She goes, leave it with me, boys. Just leave it with me. I'm going to book you um, a train to another town and I'm going to book you accommodation. We're like, yeah, but what's it like? She goes, just trust me. I'm like, you kid, like the last guy we trusted ended us up in the middle of mafia town, right? So we hop on the train. We find out that the train was managed by the mafia and every single town we go, it's just dingy and dingy. But here we are freaking out because we literally had no idea what to expect. We didn't know where we were going. We had no control. Now, that was pretty fun. When you're two like young adult dudes and brothers, you've got nothing to lose at the point. You know, it was a good fun time. And we ended up riding in a town called Sorrento, which was absolutely beautiful. And we thought we'd arrived in the most secret hidden paradise in the whole world. And as soon as we got off the train, we heard some dudes there going, yeah, mate, get the 4X. And we're like, okay, we're not that hidden from the world. But anywho, um, if you're anything like me, I hate the idea of not knowing, being out of control, because we want to know how long, we want to know how hard, how much, how far, because then we can have some control. So my question is, how are you feeling about this year? How are you handling the fact that maybe you don't have the same control over your plans? Are you worried? Are you fearful? Because, you know, there's a part of us that wants to prepare, be on our game, and... I guess in my heart as your pastor and praying for you this year, I just feel just with everything inside of me to spend some time being reminded of, a, of what God is like. And can we learn anything from those who have gone before us in different seasons where humanity has faced uncertain times where it seemed like the world was out of control. And if there's one thing I'm sure of is that God, <laughs> He has never promised us control. He's never promised us that we'd have control of all the dynamics in our life. He does promise us courage. He promises us hope. He definitely promises us joy. He promises us a future. He promises us to give us patience and His kindness. He promises to bless your life, but He doesn't promise you control. You won't always have control of all the areas in your life. So what do you do when you feel like you have no control? He certainly didn't give control to Abraham. Abraham went somewhere where he did not know where he was going. So what did Abraham have left? This is how the passage continues in the next verse. It says, By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land. This is the place that God called him away from his family from to a new place he's going to give him, the promised land. He lived there like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson who were heirs with him of the same promise. And notice this, he lived, he lived in tents. The reason this, brought out, this was brought out here is because this was an oddity. He moved to a place, he wasn't a local, he didn't speak the language, he wasn't welcome, he had different customs, certainly had a different God. And so instead of building buildings like everyone else and settling in like anyone else and relying on the local authorities like everyone else and learning the customs like everyone else, he set up kind of like this different, separate non-permanent living conditions. He lived in a tent, like a stranger in a foreign country. No dependence on government. His hope wasn't in stimulus packages and border openings. He didn't have confidence in laying his own crops like the locals there for food. 
and sustenance. He didn't build an army around him for his own safety like all the other people there. He didn't find dependence on culture, familiarity, or traditions. Where was his confidence? Why was he able to live like this in seemingly temporary living conditions? Notice those first two words, by faith. He trusted God. He trusted God. He trusted in his heavenly Father. And I'm learning this, and I want to help you learn along with me, that whilst God never promised us something to control, he certainly has promised us something to hold on to. And there is a big difference between that, and the difference is important to understand. But we are reaching for control and want to have the steering wheel of our own lives. And that's not an evil thing. It's just a thing. It's what we do. Remember what God promises. He promises you not something that you can control, but something that you can hold onto. And Abraham was able to live in a tent in a foreign land with foreign government, with foreign ideas, and be in a foreign place, but live there because he had something, or rather someone, to hold onto. He trusted God. And I, if this is such a simple thought. I just want to remind you, and it's what I'm praying for you for, and I hope it's what you're praying over your loved ones this year, and I hope it's what you find this year to be true for your life. With all the things that we have no control over and all of our plans that keep getting thrown out the window, I want you again to know that like Abraham, you might feel like you are living in a tent, that things are impermanent, things aren't guaranteed, things aren't ideal, but you can live there and you can find promise and you can find hope and you can flourish when you learn to trust that God has given you something to hold on to. It goes on here about Abraham, it says in the very next verse, this is amazing. He said he was looking, looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So in a world that was out of control and in a world where Abraham had no control, Abraham still believed that God was in control. And in a world right we're facing right now where we can speculate, we can have our opinions, and so we should, and do all we can to get a handle on the world that is to come. Remember this, in a world, and the world's always been out of control. Let's be honest, right? When has it not been? But in our grab for control, there is a hope that you can find in your Heavenly Father who is always in control. He's not erratic. He hasn't lost control. He hasn't lost his authority. God is in control. You know, trying to get an understanding about how this has worked and how people have found hope in God through all the different stories of, of humankind. I've often looked at people's examples and biographies and other people's examples for us to follow, how their hope in God has led them through difficult times. And obviously in the last century, we had these two major global conflicts that we all know really, really well. And, um, and people, people faith in sometimes the most harshest of conditions, people's simple trust in God, where they were still like living in a tent. They had nothing, no security. They had no support. They could make no plans. But yet they still found something because of their hope in God. I read one book last year, and I leveraged one sermon from last year, if you call it, but a book called Man's Search for Meaning, written by Viktor Frankl. Now, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish believer. He was uh, in a Nazi prison camp during the Second World War, was there for several years, 
saw so many of his friends die. He lived in the most atrocious conditions and he's a psychologist by trade. So he wrote this book 12 months after the end of the war and after he was freed from Nazi, uh, Nazi you know, prison camps. And so this is, this is incredible stuff. And I, enc I encourage pretty much everyone to read this, particularly if you're grasping for hope or you got some, you're struggling with areas even in your, your, your thought life, your mental health. This is a super practical, not just from a, a psychological perspective, but from his own personal experience. And so as he was writing, he noticed that there was a unique difference in the people who survived uh, the conditions that we're all living in. And one of the first things that stood out to him, he writes about it in his book, that it was often those who appeared physically strongest, those who were, you know, large and healthy, who ended up dying the quickest. But it was those who had something else, so something inside happening in them. And eventually concludes he found they had something to hold on to that was bigger than the circumstance. And for him, he concluded it was a faith or a trust in God, whoever that might be for that individual person. But he made this one quote, which has stuck out to me. And I know there's been a big foundation, a lot of psychological teaching. Now, I'm no psychologist. I'm just quoting from the book here. But he made this statement. He said, those who have a why to live, those who have a why to live, can bear with almost any how. Those who have a why, something bigger than the moment, something bigger than the present, something bigger than their problems, a why, something to look forward to. Remember we just read from Abraham that he looked forward to the city whose builder and architect is God. And here we have Viktor Frankl, what he saw, he goes, those who had something bigger than the moment, those who had trust in something more than the things they could control, a why, a purpose, something higher, something bigger to live for, they can bear with almost any how. And I wonder for you and I, what are we looking for? Do we have our why? Do we have something you're pinning your hope to, something you're looking forward to, more than just hopefully the borders open and hopefully the government gives us freedom of movement and hopefully there'll be a vaccine here. All these things you can't control. Do you have something deeper than that, a why for your life, something to pin your hopes on and pin your trust on? And this passage in Hebrews goes on and on, leveraging other characters similar to Abraham from our Old Testament, who from their similar story, found trust and hope in God. And here's how it concludes. It says this in verse 15. It says, If they had been thinking of the country they had left, so obviously referring to several characters, but including Abram, who left the country he was from, if they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to have gone back. Gone back into a world where they're familiar, their old life, their old self, pre-God. They would have opportunity to go backwards. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. They were longing for a better country. They were longing for a heavenly one. I want to put to you this morning, given all the uncertainty of the world that you and I now live in, this bold new world, a world that in some ways has always been uncertain, we need to be reminded that what we're truly longing for is what only God can build. And so I want to ask you this question, what are you longing for this year? Really? Because we just read in Hebrews, they were longing for a better country. They were longing for a heavenly one. They were longing for what only their heavenly Father could give them. And if your true longings this year are for security, is for success, and again, these aren't bad things, but just the issue with them is, you can't control that. They're out of your control. And I wonder if we need to reframe what we truly long for. And if you long for that better country, a heavenly one, 
for the thing that your heavenly Father offers. Maybe you and I will find the boldness and courage and vision to approach this new world. In other words, this year, what you're longing for, don't let control be the goal. Don't let control be the goal. Now, we're going to finish by going back to how this story began. Abram was caught away from his family. Lot tagged along with him. Quarreling began. And then finally, Abraham got the message. It's like, Lot, you got to go back to where you came from. I can't depend on that anymore. I've got to trust God with my life. And here's how the story unfolds with Abraham, or Abram at this time. It says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted, you realize there's so much God wants to do in your life and speak to you often when you finally let go of things that you should, you should have let go of a long time ago. Waiting and curious, God, where are you? And this is like, let go, let go, let go. Stop trying to control. It was after Lot had departed from him. God said to him, I want you to look around from where you are. North, south, east, west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Everything you see, I want you to look around. I want you to look differently now. Nothing had changed about it other than he just let go of where he came from. Lot finally left. And it's all of a sudden, everything about what he saw in the world he was in was different. God spoke promise into it. God spoke hope into it. God doesn't give us control. What He gives us is vision. He didn't give Abraham control, but He taught him to see the world in which he was in radically different. And my hope and prayer and what I hope you discover this year is like Abraham, when you choose to trust God, trust in the one who is in control. God won't hand you control, but He does give you vision. And He'll cause you like Abraham to look at the same world that everyone else is in. And the same world where everyone's panicking and running to and fro and making their plans and putting you know, their little nest egg aside and, and everything. How do I, this world's out of control. How do I be in control? What God gives you is vision. He learns you to live with conviction in a world that is out of control. He learns you to live with conviction rather than by circumstance. And I'm telling you, when you learn to see the world through the lens of faith in Christ, everything becomes different. A land that you might see is no opportunity and no hope and nothing to rejoice about. Next minute you find yourself singing and filled with hope and filled with optimism because your heavenly Father, what He does give is not control, but vision for your life. So. Here's where I want to finish today. Here's where I want to finish. Really practical. Two things we've got to remember. Number one, like Abram, you've got to live in your tent. But like Abram, he looked forward to the future. So live in your tent, but also look to the promise. Live in your tent. In other words, we're here. We're all together. 2021. Things we know, things we don't know, things we have control of, some things we don't have control of. But be here. Be present. Don't put your hope in the present, but be in the present. I'm telling you, give this year everything you got. Invest into those closest to you with everything you've got. Don't simply be a hoarder. Be an investor. Be generous. Serve this year. Be part of the solution this year. Like Abram, flourish in your tent this year. Right? Don't look at everything that's wrong with it. Determine, 
this year, I'm gonna be present. I'm not gonna let my joy wait until one day when. I'm gonna be here where the rest of the world might be running to and fro. I'm gonna live in this tent. I'm gonna make this area flourish. And I'm gonna make the people around me go, you don't even have everything in God, but why, why did your life seem to be different? You're just in a tent. It's because I don't look to my tent. I look to the promise, right? Now, you don't live in the promise, don't live in the future because you're no good to anyone in the present. Put your hope in the future. Put your trust in the promise of God. Find your joy in the promise of God, but live in the present. Be here. Get your fuel for the present from the promise. Yeah, that makes sense in my mind anyways, right? There is a promise that is found in your heavenly Father. Look to your heavenly Father. By faith, trust in your heavenly Father. That's where we look to. But we live here. Be present. Yeah, things are not permanent. Yeah, things are uncertain. But luckily, our hope and our confidence isn't in the ground in which we pegged our tents. It is in a heavenly country, a better country, and a better hope. And it's what your heavenly Father offers. So, good one. Great one. So I'm going to pray for you right now because we all have our own tents that we're trying to make a living in the middle of and have our own tensions and all the world we're navigating where we're grappling through control. I'm going to pray that you would know God's faithfulness and His joy in His life right where you are, right now in this season of your life. The turmoil and the quarrels that we're experiencing, you would learn to live in your tent. But I'm also going to pray for you that your hope would be in the promise of your Heavenly Father. And you know, as I pray for that, listen, if you're someone who's never put your hope in your Heavenly Father, if you're someone who's never trusted your life with Jesus, today, you've got to make your first step. If you're watching along online, along online, this is your moment to make your first step. I'm going to pray this morning. I want you to be included in this prayer of trusting your life to your Heavenly Father who is in control. God, I'm super grateful that you care about us, that you see us, that you know us.
next week. And it's the one thing that helps you take the hope that you have in the promise and apply it to the tent that you're living in. You're not going to want to miss it. God bless you. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.